question, what is the truth? What is the truth? And that que- the answer to that is essential for every human being because it matters greatly if there is truth, if it can be known, and what you do about it. And uh, so before we uh, read God's Word here, dig in, let's say a prayer. Dear God, pray that as we read your word and hear it, um, that we would listen to it, that your spirit would open our hearts to hear it and to receive it and to believe it, receive it by faith, and to, to live our lives upon your word and faithfulness in you as our God and as our Savior. Open our eyes to see it by your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we can say with great confidence from God's Word that there is truth, and it can be known, and we are shown truth, the truth, in Jesus Christ. And uh, before we start reading verse 28, I do want to remind us, review the historical events that led right up to this. So before verse 28, Jesus had been arrested secretly in the night, in the garden of Gethsemane. And he had been brought first to the house of the high priest Annas, and then to the house of the high priest Caiaphas. At both, there were mock trials, false witnesses, and the, the high council of priests, which is called the Sanhedrin, they sentenced him, condemned him to death. And they planned to take him to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, at first light, to, uh, to get his execution. And now, it's worth noting here as well to know that the Roman Empire was proud of its justice. Roman courts were open from dawn till dusk, first light till the end of light. Trials were always public, and the accuser and the accused faced each other before the Roman judge. Now, and Pilate, as the governor of the province, would often judge cases when he came to Jerusalem. And so, the Sanhedrin bring Jesus to Pilate first thing. They wanted to get this done right away, be the first to see Pilate that day at his court so that they can have Jesus killed. And that brings us now to verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. And there's a couple of things from history and culture that will help us to understand what's going on here. So the headquarters, uh, which in the, the Romans called the, the Praetorium, Uh, This was a Gentile building, built by Gentiles, used by Gentiles. And the Jews had a rule that any time any one of them entered a Gentile building, they became unclean. And they must be ceremonially washed, but they had to wait until after sunset of that day to have that ceremonial washing. Now, this was a rule that they had made up. It did not come from Moses or the Bible. It was one that they had made up to protect their people from pagan influence. Um, 
So they are there. And you can see here the Sanhedrin, they are very closely guarding this man-made rule of theirs. Uh, now, the other part that is helpful to know, it says that they could eat, they wanted to eat the Passover. And the Passover meal here is not referring to the meal of the paschal lamb, which remember the sacrificial lamb in, G in Egypt. Okay, that, that, that was already celebrated Thursday night. That was, that was the last supper with Jesus and his disciples. So all the Jews celebrated, they had already celebrated that meal the night before. But Passover is a long festival over many days, and there are different meals on the different days. So Friday's meal, because this was a Friday, um, would have been a different meal. It was a meal, it was a celebratory meal taken in the afternoon. And so this is why the Sanhedrin, um, this is why we can properly understand, right? the, why are the Sanhedrin uh, concerned about becoming unclean? Uh, because they have to wait until sunset to do their their ceremonial washing, and they would miss this afternoon uh, celebration meal. They would, could not participate in it if they were still unclean. Um, but we can also say this could not have been the pastoral meal that was Thursday because that was given after sunset, and they could have been, they could have been washed and taken it anyway. Um, <clears throat> so that helps us clearly know, okay, what are they talking about? Why are they outside? Why, why won't they go into the praetorium, but they stay outside? And why do they care about becoming unclean and not and making sure they can have this afternoon meal? Um, so we so it tells us they assemble outside the praetorium, and it's a big assembly. Um, verse twenty-eight says they. Well, who's this they? Well, they includes everyone that the earlier part of chapter eighteen has involved. So that means the soldiers who arrested Jesus in the garden and. And these are Jewish soldiers in the service of, of the priesthood. Um, these are, and so it includes the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas. It includes all of the Sanhedrin. It includes their servants and attendants, anyone who helped them in their roles. So this is a large assembly that comes to the steps of the praetorium. And they wait outside. And Pilate, it appears, is, is aware of their custom, and he readily meets them to begin his trial. And the Sanhedrin soldiers present Jesus. He is the accused, and Pilate turns to the Sanhedrin. They are the accusers. And Pilate thinks he's about to start a trial. Verse 29, so Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Pilate Got straight to the point. What are the charges? Let's get this thing started. Verse 30. They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Notice that they won't tell him the crime. Definitely not going to tell him about their secret trial. But they tell him their verdict. They deliberately distort the truth for their own agenda. They want to pressure him with this great assembly into giving him, to giving them what they want. And I think we can connect and relate with this because distorted truth is a frustration for us today. Um, people alter the facts 
to fit their story. Seems like so many have a spin. And uh, when you look at the news or events, it used to be that you, uh, they told you what happened and you determined what it means. And now they tell you what it means and you have to figure out if it actually really happened. Um, and so where, where everything you look at now, you ask, okay, did this actually happen? Or did it actually happen the way it was reported? Did it happen a different way? It's, and this affects so many things because it becomes hard, more and more confusing. Who are the good guys in this story? Who are the bad guys? And it can be exhausting for us to try to figure it all out because there's just too much to investigate yourself. You can't investigate it all. You would spend your whole life and still never get to every story. Um, and the result of this, this confusion and this distortion is that so many in our society have given up on on hoping to find the truth, the facts. And what the result of that is, well, hey, if, if there is no absolute truth, or if it cannot be found, then the world, the world, that means the world apart from God, the world says, well, then, hey, just give up trying to find absolute truth. Instead, make it what you want it to be. That's what the world says. And don't bother trying to find absolute truth or trying to live in harmony with it. No, just make it what you want it to be. But we are seeing in our whole society around us that the loss of truth goes hand in hand with the loss of hope. And the rise, and it's part of the rise in anxiety and despair. Because if there is no truth, then nothing is certain. And you have no confident hope, and you don't know if this thing or that thing or anything will actually help you in your life. And you don't know whose side you are. And if there's no absolute truth, how can you know if you're on the side of evil or the side of good? And the only people, or the only comfort that people lost in the world end up with is this. Well, at least I did it my way. And that is a small comfort if you've irreversibly ruined your life with your bad decisions. We, we can only defy reality by, by burning a lot of power. It's, and power comes in a lot of different forms, but think of it like, like a plane. Planes defy gravity. Gravity wants to part. How does a plane, you know, which is made out of, of metal, metal doesn't naturally fly, you know, how, do, how does it defy gravity? Well, by burning fuel, it burns power. But eventually, you, you can only defy gravity up to a certain point. Eventually, you run out of fuel, and then gravity reasserts itself. Now, truth, truth is eternal. It's, it's always there. And so when our power whatever that may look like in our lives, to, to manipulate our lives or, or the world around us, when that power runs out of fuel, and it always does, then we crash back down on the truth. And uh, the harder we are trying to defy reality, the harder we crash on the truth. And now the Sanhedrin, we're about to discover that the truth always comes out. But Pilate 
he will meet the truth. Let's keep going here. Verse 31, Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Pilate had no patience for games. If they won't tell him what they're charging this guy with, then Pilate's a smart guy. He can figure out, you know, if they won't charge him, it's probably because he's not breaking a Roman law. So it must be something peculiar to the Jewish religious law. And if that's what it is, then Pilate does not want to waste any of his time on it, and they can deal with it themselves. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So one part of, of the conditions of Roman rule over Judea was that the local authorities, I mean, mean meaning the, Jew, the Jewish state authorities, uh, could not carry out a death sentence. Only Rome could execute capital punishment. And the Sanhedrin wanted Pilate to accept their trial and to execute their sentence without having a trial of his own. But Pilate would not let Roman justice be made a mockery of. And then verse 32 gives us some uh, behind-the-scenes commentary. The gospel, John the Apostle, he likes to do this in his gospel. He likes to give behind-the-scenes commentary, and it's so helpful for us. This is what he says. He says, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So a couple weeks ago, you may recall, we looked at Matthew 26, and Jesus there predicted specifically that he was going to die by crucifixion. Now, and crucifixion was a death sentence only practiced by the Romans. It was a method unique to the Romans. If the Jews had permission to execute him, they would have stoned him. So for Jesus to be executed as predicted, it has to be the Romans doing it. And the wheels of providence have turned, and now the Sanhedrin are stuck. They want him executed, but they can't do it. They have to ask Rome to do it, to achieve the thing they desire. And we can see in this, in this providence here, their evil intentions will be used for God's good plan despite themselves. And that's what John the Apostle wants us to know here. So back to the events here. Verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So he entered his headquarters, meaning so he, le he leaves the front steps of the praetorium and he goes back into the actual courtroom of the praetorium. And he calls Jesus, meaning Jesus is brought to him, and that, which means that Jesus now changes custody. The Jewish guards have to release him to the Roman guards because the Jewish guards don't want to risk becoming unclean by entering the Roman building. So Jesus is now in the custody of Roman soldiers and Roman law. And Pilate, with this uh, neat trick, was just moving back... <laughs> 20 steps or whatever, he has simply and neatly cut the Sanhedrin and their deceptions out of the conversation. 
He's main, he maintained the public trial. They were free to enter and listen, but he knows they won't. He knew they wouldn't because they wouldn't risk becoming unclean. Um, we should not understand this to be a private conversation. The Roman soldiers holding Jesus would still have been there. There would have been Roman staff attending to, to Pilate there. So this was still a public trial, a public conversation. Um, but by entering the proper room there, he has cut the Sanhedrin out. So Pilate starts with a question to Jesus. And this question is not his own, because when we compare the Gospel of John with the other Gospels, we look at Luke 23, verse 3. And that tells us that at some point the Sanhedrin did accuse Jesus. They accused Jesus of three things. They accused him of stirring up the people, of preaching against paying taxes to Rome, and they accused him of claiming to be Christ, a king. And John did not include this because it's, it, was very, it was already very well documented in the other Gospels. He wants us to, to know this other conversation. So we, we may rightly understand that at the point where Pilate forced the Sanhedrin to admit their goal, their desire of having Jesus executed, it's at that point that they finally give some, some accusations to justify their demand for his execution. And the most serious of these accusations was that he claimed to be an earthly king. So Pilate, this is where this question's coming from. Pilate is not wondering this himself. He's been told this accusation by the Sanhedrin, and now he asks Jesus directly, are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you? about me. So Jesus, he did not answer immediately yes or no. And I, I think he, he does so because he, he understands our human nature. He knows uh, we cannot hear the, the truth rightly if we don't want the truth. And also we come with, with false ideas, false perceptions in our minds already. And these, these false ideas must be corrected or we will, when we hear the truth where we will bend it to our own understanding. And so Jesus was testing Pilate. He's correcting his false ideas because Jesus is, Pilate is thinking of an earthly king like the emperor, like kings of other provinces who commands armies and wealth and castles. And Jesus is not that type of king, but he is a king. So Jesus needs to correct some things before he answers yes or no. So he tests Pilate. What are you seeking, Pilate? Are you asking about a false Christ who is trying to be an earthly king, as the Sanhedrin have told you? Or are you asking about a true Christ, a spiritual Savior? And uh, this is a wise tactic for all of us. If we're asked a hard question that feels like it's pitting you in a corner, Ask for clarification. What do you mean by that question? What do, you, what do you picture when you ask me this question? It's a good, good wisdom for all of us there. And Pilate answers him. Verse 35, <clears throat> Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So Pilate 
He had no interest, no personal interest of his own in a Christ. He was just trying to determine the facts of this case, of this trial. And he knows, he, he knows he's been fed distorted truth all morning. He could not trust anything he had been told yet. And if he had heard about Jesus before this, which he, which he probably had, nothing indicated a rebellion. In fact, Jesus had just entered Jerusalem a week before in a huge triumphal parade. But he did not come as a religious leader, he came, or as a political leader. He came as a religious leader. And there was that, the, his triumphal entry had nothing no, no tone of, of kingship or rule uh, about it. And, and Pilate knew all this. So nothing about Jesus in appearance or character indicates an earthly king. And yet his, his own nation, his own priests have turned him over to Pilate. And to Pilate's mind, this is all so contradictory. The Jews hated Rome. They would never turn over one of their own, let alone a Jewish king. And they would, they would not have done that out of loyalty to Rome. It's, it's ludicrous. So Pilate knew there was something he was missing in this story. And he could only conclude Jesus must have done something horrible to, to offend the Sanhedrin so greatly that they want him dead. So, so Pilate, he, he cared nothing about a spiritual Christ. He's not looking for his own salvation here. He just wanted to know the truth of this trial. And so he asked, what have you done? And Jesus doesn't answer that question. He continues to answer the first question, are you a king? Verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So now, now that the question has been clarified, Jesus can give him a clear answer. Yes, he is a king, but no, his kingdom is not of this world. So he, he is not an earthly king, as they have accused him of. His kingdom is not composed of armies and wealth and castles. If it were, his people would have fought to defend him and prevent him from being taken. But clearly, no, no such large conflict had happened. So his kingdom is not from this world. It is not, it is not derived from worldly power. Now, in, in the world, it's the kingdom that makes the king. A king without a kingdom is nothing in the world. But Jesus is a king in and of himself. And he is a king who makes his kingdom the total opposite of the world. Verse 37, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So Pilate repeated, repeated back the answer. So you are a king. You're not the king of the Jews, but you are a king. 
And Jesus confirmed his answer. It is as you say, I am a king. So we can see Jesus was born as a king. He was a king just by being who he is. He came into this world from another world, from heaven, and he came as a king. So his kingship precedes even his birth into our world. He was born and he came for this purpose, to witness to the truth. Am I having a double mic here? I feel like I'm echoing. Okay, so as long as the headset's muted, we'll be good. So I'll just stick with the handheld. <laughs> Sorry for the pause. So Jesus, his kingship is in himself, just by being himself. And it precedes even his birth into the world. It's a heavenly kingship. And he came, he was born, and he came to us to witness to the truth. And th this is a remarkable statement because Jesus then is not a philosopher who reasons out the truth through logic. He bears witness to the truth. So he, he can testify to us about the truth from firsthand knowledge. And he's not talking about truth in general. He's this is the absolute, total, eternal truth. Now we, humanity, and this world, we don't start with the truth in us, but we feel its absence and we long for it. And we need it for all our essential questions for living in this life. What? story am I in? What is true justice? What is good? What is evil? Who am I? Why do I matter? Does it matter what I do? And even just, just looking at the world around us and watching what people believe and what people do, we, we can conclude and see that truth matters. Because if you can be made to believe a lie, then you can be made to do horrible things. So we need, everyone needs the truth. And Jesus came for this purpose to reveal the truth to us. And when we hear his voice, the word of God, his light shines in our hearts like that flashlight so that we can see the truth and we can know it. And when we see it and know it, when we, when we accept it, then we listen to it and we follow it. And, and this is the mark of the one who is of the truth. He listens to Jesus' voice. The voice of truth is Jesus' voice. And when you hear his voice, he opens your ears to hear the truth. He opens your eyes to see it. He gives you a heart to believe it. You become of the truth by hearing the truth from him. And so you and you become become composed of the truth. You become derived from the truth. You, the truth is in you and part of you. He transforms your thinking to be of the truth. He gives you wisdom to discern and recognize the truth. He gives you the will to act according to the truth. And Jesus gave this promise very clearly in John 8, verse 31 and 32. 
if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then a, a few lines later, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus, Jesus promised directly, confidently, you will know the truth, the absolute, total, eternal truth that your heart and mind can rest upon. It's a truth that sets you free from all deceptions and lies. And what, what is this truth? What is this testimony? Well, I could go to a lot of verses to answer that. I'm going to give you two here. From the letter of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And then the letter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So to know God is to know eternal truth. It's to know the truth, and it's to know eternal righteousness and eternal life. It's to know who He is and who we were made to be. And the Son of God is the one who shows us this, who reveals this to us, and the one who saves us and makes the truth alive in us. And He saved us by dying in our place for our lies. Because the lies and the pressure of the Sanhedrin would ultimately succeed. They would over. They would pressure Pilate to finally bend to their wishes. Jesus was condemned as a deceiver, as a false Christ. He was crucified. Truth itself was condemned as a lie. I mean, I just I, right, think about that. <laughs> Truth itself was condemned as a lie. But Jesus took upon himself the guilt of our lies so that He could save us from ourselves, save us from the lies in us, and He could bring us into the truth. And He is the truth. And the truth, it was the truth that was on trial before Pontius Pilate. And He was invited to listen to Jesus' voice and hear the truth. But how did He respond? Now, verse 38, Pilate said to Him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. So this was this statement was not a sneer of sarcasm. This was the cynicism, the cynicism <laughs> of a soul that had given up any hope of finding the truth. Even when presented with the truth before him in the, <laughs> the living truth, he would not seek it. He just wanted to resolve today's crisis. 
And how about you? Whether you're, whether you're here with me or listening on, online here, how about you? Do you want the truth? Do you want something deeper and more lasting than today's crisis? Do you want absolute truth that transcends politics, power plays, and man-made systems? Do you want living hope that comes from eternal truth? Truth that gives you wisdom and discernment. Truth that transforms your thinking and your life. Then listen to the voice of Jesus. And that voice is found in His Word that He has given us. Listen to Jesus, because in Him you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. Praise God that He has sent the voice of truth, and we have that truth, and we can know it in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank You for sending Your Son. Thank You for Your love for every person that You would want them to know the truth and to listen to Your voice. Even as Jesus was on trial, He was reaching out to those around Him, to Pilate, desiring to show Him the truth. Um, you testified to the truth that all might be saved through it all to the end. Just what a wonderful heart you have, Jesus, for us and your heart to save us and to free us from lies and deceptions that we might live in freedom and truth and eternal life. I pray that you strengthen each of our faith today. Help us to listen to your voice and to follow it by faith in your Son. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.